really happy for you. I'm let you finish. Welcome to On In 5. Thank you for joining us. My name is Anton Tony Ryder. How are y'all doing tonight? I'm asking I'm you good. guys. How my are... co-host, Austin oh, Thomas. Yeah, and yeah, Ethan yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're doing? I'm asking you. I'm, saying, <laughs> I'm pretty good. Thank you for joining Ethan me. Ethan and I are great. I'm going to speak yeah. for him and myself. We're collectively we awesome. I mine now. Wow. Yep. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> you you got to go to Elon Musk for that. Oh, yes. I, Get I don't know about all that. But. You don't know, but it happened. You just don't remember. Oh, dear. We're, we're, I just know I'm happy to be in a chat with two of my best guys it, talking about one of the more comical phenomena in the, in the music world. Oh, <laughs> yes. So this is definitely going to be a more casual episode. We decided we wanted to shed a little light on some of the artists that we will never cover in depth because, well... They're just not good enough to cover in depth. We're talking yeah. about the bottle rockets of the music world. The one it wonders. <laughs> Don't you know that you are a shooting star? This whole song is about this phenomenon, actually. Mm. But that oh. song's by Bad mm. Company, I think. Is that true? Oh, bad Company. I yeah, didn't that know whole that. song is about a guy getting super famous and then dying from drugs. It's pretty fucking sweet. Oh. That's oh, a we'll talk about really it. Really good song. Oh. I just didn't know it was by Bad Company. How impressive. I think so. We'll so, find out. Someone will tell us that we're wrong. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for it. Yeah, so we're going to cover three songs of our choice. We all chose three songs. Um, and so I think I'm going to start. We're doing more casual episodes. I think we all think we're going to start, yeah. Yeah, as I said in the last episode, um, by the time you hear this, we'll have a baby. But right now, my wife is four days away from being induced because she is so fucking pregnant. So literally, I have my phone sitting beside me in case she goes, hey, I'm going into labor. So it can happen at any can moment. Can you imagine? So, so we're doing a, little, so a couple lighter episodes because we uh, don't have time for all the research of our normal episodes. So with that, I will start. Uh, and the first band we're going to cover is Dexy's Midnight Runners, who had the hit Come On Eileen. To So you know who else loves this song? My dad. Oh, of course. Oh, of if course. Yeah, I could, he would just play this over and over, and honestly, I still love it every time. So yep, I, hear, I can see like Bill liking else. it. I can see Bill giggling to the title every time he says it. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of that clerk's joke when he's naming off all the pornography, and then he, come on, Eileen. Come on, Eileen, yeah. It's very clever. Very clever so joke. Clever. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Uh, the, the, we'll get into it, but the song title actually has, means nothing really sexual, so you guys are just Shock, perverts. Shocking that just a it that way. How about it? <laughs> so I do have to say up top, the band isn't a true one-hit wonder. They did have another number one hit called Gino, but one but come on Eileen is immediately what comes to mind when you hear the band's name, if you knew the band's name at all when associated with this song. I didn't. It, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's not very known. Yeah. So this is a band that has had a lot of turnover and breakups and reunions, none of which we are going to get into. These are going to be very surface stories of the bands and then talking about the one song that made them famous. Yeah, we're not giving anyone a whole lot of credit here. We're just 
We're talking about just some kind of funny phenomena. The one good song they managed to put out. <laughs> so the band began in Birmingham, England in 1978 when singer and songwriter Kevin Rowland and guitarist and backing vocalist Kevin Archer decided to create a band. Who do you think got to go by Kevin? <laughs> Archer's a sweet name, so I bet Kevin Rowland. I mean, Archer, yeah, yeah I would go as Archer. Just call me Archer. Archer. Yeah. yeah. Be awesome. And I'm Roland. Uh, Roland's a real first Kevin. name. So all right, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. this guy's called T-Bone. We should call this guy T-Bone. Seinfeld joke, guys. Go watch the show. Oh, it's yeah, only 20 years old. Not sponsored by Seinfeld either. <laughs> no. God. No, we're not. Can't get into this again. <laughs> so they began looking for other members, but had a pretty rigorous schedule for them, saying that anyone who wanted to be in the band had to quit their full-time job so they could practice and focus on this band all day. And thank God they did, because we got, we got two good songs out <laughs> we, got, of it. we got one <laughs> good song and one, one notable song. <laughs> they did somehow manage to get six guys who were willing to meet this schedule. And thus, Dexy's Midnight Runners was born. The name came from Dexedrine, which is a type of amphetamine taken by club glower, by club goers to give them. You could inter- call them glowers, probably. Oh, I yeah. like that. Club glowers. <laughs> club glowers. Yeah, you could probably. We could make that happen. Wow. So uh, they they took this this Dexedrine to give them energy to party all night, and the people who moved it were called Dexy's Midnight Runners. And if you don't remember, Mm. this is the drug that Johnny Cash and Waylon were doing excessively. Oh, this is the Waylon series. Yeah, Yeah, they were doing Dexter. Yellow Jackets, Benny's. Yeah, Yellow Jackets, the the Blackbirds. Go go listen to our series on Waylon to hear uh, how successful it makes a person, I guess, because he just did everything (laughs) right the whole time he was on. Honestly, an amazing story about (laughs) amphetamine. We have, yeah, truthfully, is. we have nothing bad to say about amphetamines. So. Amphetamines and cocaine. Just a lot of it. So oh, God, we'll it worked it for there. So they managed to get signed by Clash manager Bernard Rhodes on Oddball Records, owned by EMI, where they put out their first record. You mean like The Clash, right? Like the band? Yes, The Clash. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah, sorry. Good clear up. Just had to make sure. Clash. <laughs> Fast forward to 1981, when the band went into the studio to record their second album called Two Rye. And that is one of the lyrics in the song. How about that? I wish I knew what it meant. Uh, they're, they're just talking about their bread and then just a little little cheer at the end. Just like, how's uh, your bread? Two rye. Two, two, two rye, man. Two, <laughs> two rye. It's still good, but it is two rye. It is too a little much bit rye. Two rye. <laughs> well, I'm glad we saw that through. Yeah. So the so the band I, I researched this, all right, and that's what I came up with. Okay. That, that's what the that that's what the collective respect. internet said. So the band had already gone through seventeen member changes by this point, and this was just in like uh, three years, I think. Mm. And so yeah, like mm. I said, they had a lot of turnover. Yep. And they were now, they actually had gone through a soft breakup as well, and they were now signed to Mercury Records, and they got to work. Soft breakups. We're going to talk, we're going to cover soft breakups a lot. It seems yeah. when you have one good song, you call it quits and then try to steamroll through it again a few years later when you need money. You just, <laughs> you just like. uh, try, yeah. Can we put this oh, aside yeah. for some money, please? <laughs> 
<laughs> so the bay, uh, so they recorded for three months from December 1981 to March 1982. And on June 25th, the single Come On Eileen was released, and it took the world by storm. It reached number one in the UK and was the first of the band's songs to reach the number one in the US. It featured Kevin Rowland singing, Billy Adams on banjo and guitar, Giorgio Kilkenny on bass, Seb Shelton on drums, Mickey Billingham on piano and accordion, Helen O'Hara, Steve Brennan, Jennifer Tobis, and Roger McDuff on fiddle, James, Jim Patterson on trombone, Paul Spear on tenor sax and flute, and Brian Maurice on alto God. sax. Quite the fucking line. Yeah, and Daffy Duck and on no didgeridoo. Archer. Archer's out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. he didn't even make it. Didn't even make it this didn't, long, man. Uh, cool guy didn't make it. Uh, how about it? That's what happens when you're in, in this band. Sorry, I'm putting Kev, out this one. Kev, too. Yeah. Rip. <laughs> So the band, the song was a love song written for a girl named Eileen that Kevin Rowland fell in love with when they were both 13. How about that, you perverts? That's the that's when you start to learn what true love is. Uh, and like, yeah, like I said, it sounds dirty, but I, that's not what the band was going for. Apparently, the early 80s were a different time. Just, um, uh, just lack of foresight. Mm, not yeah. being dirty, just not thinking ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, they actually meant, I think they meant for it to be encouraging and not a request or a demand that people are assuming it is. <laughs> uh, and a couple fun facts about the song. The beginning and the end are based on an old on an old Irish folk song called Believe Me, If All the Endearing Young Charms, written by Thomas Moore in the early 1880s. And it's like... Believe me for the endearing young charms. Da, da, da. You know, you, yeah. you, and then if you've heard Come On Eileen, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that makes about. sense. It's a good song. And the bridge of the song, where it speeds up in tempo, and there's that, like, Come on, Eileen Delure. That's all improvised. So they just did that on the fly. And the song huh. actually prevented Michael Jackson from having two number one back-to-back songs replacing billy jean for a week before beat it out pushed it before beat it <laughs> man come yeah, on i leave your yeah. brain weird <laughs> wavelength going here oh dear yeah uh yeah before beat it <laughs> Pushed it off the top. Come on, Eileen was was beat by beat it. And the last fun fact, amongst my friends, we have made sure that this song has been played at every event where music is played since high school. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. Zach from Red Nine has a running joke. He he would just play Surfing Bird everywhere we went if they had a karaoke machine, which was <laughs> I thought was hilarious. Of course Actually, he was. We didn't we didn't sing it. We just like every dance through high school, every wedding. Well, every people were time. singing it. It was just requested, I mean, yeah, by yeah, the we to the DJ, and then everyone screamed it at the top of their sweating yeah, lungs. More yelling it than anything. <laughs> I think Zach <laughs> spent twenty five dollars on one of those record machines, like the digital ones that you could do on your phone. He spent twenty five dollars on Surf and Bird at a Waffle House once. Oh, sounds about right. <laughs> sounds like a very this. Zach thing to do. We watch people leave. Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Focus. Yeah, go go buy sleep on it. Go buy some Red Dawn. It's not for sleeping. <laughs> I had one before the episode, and I feel uh, great. They are wonderful. I just wish they'd uh, bring the fan man back. Please. Oh, God. <laughs> please, no. So, yeah, we would all do, like, circles around the dance floor just yelling 
the song as loud as we could. And one of my friends that was in the band, if you listen to our last episode that was in I'm Prettier Than You, Andrew, he had a live band at his wedding, and we requested the song, and they're like, we don't know how to play that, (laughs) which is understandable. And I said, all right, you guys have to take a break because we have to play this song. And they took a break, and they played the song. It was freaking awesome. I got it. It got played. It was wonderful. <laughs> I don't know if that is before or after I spilled the entire Jameson on myself, but I don't remember much <laughs> revolving around that event. So. <laughs> Perfect. So Even I have no better. doubt this song was played, but I don't quite recall it happening. Oh, man. But I, uh, you did dance to it. <laughs> oh, no, I'm did sure I danced my, <laughs> my little legs off. Yeah. This song, when it's played at an event, is like it's like the the conch for us it's just like <laughs> everyone comes to the dance floor oh, the battle it's awesome has been <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the beacons of gondor are lit. Uh, <laughs> so after the album came out they wrote the success of this song and one more album before they broke up in 1987 and then they took a long uh uh, break, I think at 25, 35, 97, 20, 25, there we go, 25-year break before reforming in 2013, where they have since put out two more albums and have had more than 50 people come and go. And that's the story of Come On Eileen. Wow. Very compelling. I like hanging it up just long enough to realize you don't have much in the way of retirement and having to come out of the hiatus there. 25 years. Yeah, they're probably like in their 50s or 60s and they're oh, like, we got to get oh, out of this. Do you think we got to go play checks, our shitty songs. Do you think royalty checks adjust for interest? Like, well, I mean inflation at all or do you think it's just a set amount? You know, I got to say. I, f- I feel like it's probably a know. percentage. So then it would it would adjust for inflation as the music. They could just for inflation. Yeah, gosh, I hope sure. So. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, that I don't actually know if you're sounds exactly for a right. Real, real responsible answer, but that's what I'm <laughs> going to give you. Sounds like exactly what sense. it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. All right. All right. I guess it's Austin, me. What do you got, man? All right. First up on uh, for me is one of my favorite Marilyn Manson songs, "Tainted Love." And as you mm. most likely know, it's not actually his song. Uh, this song has lived several lives, of, as I found out. Uh, yeah. So it was originally written by Ed Cobb and was first Good performed. Name. What? Good name. That's a good name. Oh, yeah. It's a That's strong American name. name. That's a hardy name, yeah. Mm. Uh, it was first performed by Gloria Jones back in 1964. And a fun little fact is at the time, Gloria was actually in a relationship with Mark Bolin, the singer of T-Rex, which you may or may have not heard of. Uh, they're kind of pioneers mm-hmm. of glam rock, you know, uh, uh Get it on, get it on, ring a gong. I can never remember that second line for some reason. So, uh, yeah, this version is super different from the two versions that will kind of make this song a hit, but it's still super catchy. It's uh, really upbeat and has a really huge horn section. It's very swingy, uh, but it really flopped. It didn't chart in the US or the UK. And then in 76, it was re-recorded in a new uh, new genre of Northern Soul, still by Gloria Jones. Mm. But uh, they, they changed it up a lot and uh, still again flopped. So it's kind of a bummer because it is very catchy. What What is what's Northern Soul? What kind of genre? Is I that? don't know how to explain it, uh, to be honest, but R&B written in Minnesota. 
Well, so the manager of the band we're about to talk about next, when they picked to do this song, he said that the version recorded in 76, you could smell the cocaine on it. So, I mean, oh, whatever yeah. that tells you. Sure. I so, think that explains everything. Very much know. like a 70s clubs dancing song kind of thing. Okay, yeah. And, Big old um, he- heavy bass in there. Sure. Cool. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm <laughs> you just have to listen to it. <laughs> so, uh, this song was eventually picked up as a cover by English synth pop duo by the name of Soft Cell, and this is the version most people are familiar with. Yeah. And to their dismay, it is why they're the focus of my first one hit wonder segment. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> formed in 1977, Soft Cell consisted of only two members, Mark Allman and David Ball. Uh, the two met while attending Lead, Leeds Polytechnic, and they had the idea to start a band with Allman singing and Ball doing all the instrumentals <laughs> using synthesizers. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, they started mm. this a good flash in the pan, the way that any, any should, with a loan of 2,000 British pounds from Ball's mom to record an EP. <laughs> I have never got ink. Man, I don't get two grand for anything, let alone a passion project. So, <laughs> My dad good bought for me a $300 guitar once. That was it. <laughs> wow. This band, they but they honestly had a lot of luck right in the beginning because their first real recording uh, was a song called "The Girl with the Patent Leather Face," and it was featured on a compilation album, which got them noticed by an A and R rep for Phonogram Records. And this was like an umbrella label, which technically they were signed to Sub Label, uh, which was a hyper aware label called Some Bizarre Label. (laughs) <laughs> which I couldn't find much noteworthy information about, but uh, another sub-label label of Phonogram Records is Mercury Records, which Tony talked about in yeah. his very first segment. And they have huge names like Paul Abdul, Cream, Fall Out Boy, and they eventually, Phonogram just became Mercury. I'm pretty sure one of my other bands is also on Mercury. Where are you fucking go? And you know what? I'm fucking crazy about a Mercury. Crazy about a Mercury. I'm Mercury. Crazy up and down the road. God, what a hit song about such a strange. Alan Jackson is not a one hit wonder man. But it's a wonder that that was a hit. Is the thing. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> so, as you probably gathered from the theme of this episode, things in the soft cell camp were less than explosive. Uh, they released their first single uh, on phonogram titled Memorabilia, and this didn't chart at all. And apparently, it had some success in the nightclub scene, but that was really it. Now, from everything I could find, the label basically made it understood that they'd get one more chance at a single, and if it did as poorly or failed to sell, that they would be dropped from some bizarre label. Which which bizarre label? (laughs) Very good one. Very good one, Ethan. (laughs) Thanks for your contribution. That's great. I'm glad I could help. It took three tries to get that. Uh, we'll Just see if three. that stays. We'll see if that stays. <laughs> in, a, in a somewhat telling move, rather than try to write another song, they opted for a cover and they chose Tainted Love. They slowed the song down Good and choice. put it in the key of G to match with Almond's lower register voice. I have to say, I love that there's these songs that just like transcend 
like they, I mean, it's like written by one band, but it just jumps from band to bit. Like everyone has covered it, you know. Like you've got your like your Hallelujah and and Tainted Love and just songs like that. Yeah, where it's like it's written by a person. Somebody wrote it, but yep. so many people have covered it that it's not really like, even any like, one song anymore. Like uh, folk songs, how they kind of. You yeah, can't really trace jump. an origin almost well, on exactly. some of them. My yeah. favorite thing about Tainted Love is watching a movie with the subtitles on and seeing Tainted Love plays and trying to guess which version it's about to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, there, there are several. But this is this is the one that really blew it up. Uh, so it was released in uh, 1981, and boy, it hit the mark. It was the number one charting song in the UK and 16 additional countries. Man. And while it never reached number one in the U.S., uh, it only it, it topped out at number eight. It did achieve something pretty equally incredible, and it would break the Guinness Book of World Records for longest consecutive stay on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, topping at a 43 weeks, whopping 43 weeks, which... And all it took was nut and ball. <laughs> Yep. I was oh, looking for yeah, a, nice, I was nice. looking for a joke. Yeah. For, yeah. yeah it wow. took, t- took me a while to find it. You but sat on we got it just long enough. <laughs> got it. <laughs> uh, that uh, sadly, thank that, you. That title has been beaten out many, many times over since by the likes of Katy Perry, Rihanna, and the Chainsmokers. But back then, it was really something. Hey, you what guys remember when Katy Perry was a Christian singer and then she just sold out? Like, she's on that P.O.D. song and then she's, she's like... She's also ah. on Warp Tour one year. Yeah, she's on Warp Tour yeah. and then she's like, I'll wait, I don't, I need money. So back to Soft Cell, to their credit, uh, uh, yes. when their first uh, full-length album, uh, Nonstop Cabaret, was released, it did eventually go platinum. You, you skipped over one of the words there. Oh, yeah, you're right. I did. And it was a, it's an important word, actually. Okay. The, the album is actually titled Nonstop Erotic Cabaret, which uh, the, the, one of the funniest things about this band is all their stuff is like their focus is sexual perversion and like being like like gross sex stuff, which this doesn't really fit in with. Uh, but if you watch the music video they recorded for it, it's really weird because it's like the two guys from the band dressed as like Olympians and then this little girl that's like seven and he's talking oh, about no. like you oh, know dear. the, the oh, line no. uh, <laughs> I can't stand the way you tease it's it's weird it's very that's weird the, it's a yeah. weird choice that they made uh, I don't love that <laughs> yeah so this it went platinum but obviously that's mostly due to the success of Tainted Love uh, but you'll it, see that a lot for all of our bands yeah. all of their yes. albums go, do sell really well but it's yep. because of this their single yep. uh, it does, though it does feature two other songs that eventually hit number two and three on the charts Torch and uh, Wave Hello Say Goodbye respectively mm. but I mean you still you're, you're just being bolstered by the sales of this other song yep uh, and so now this band ended the way that I'd like to think I would end things after having garnered almost instant fame from a cover song that I didn't have to write uh, uh-huh. three years later in a haze of ecstasy. Of they, course, naturally. Yeah, yeah, they moved oh. to New York to start recording, got really into the ecstasy scene and just kind of fell apart and were were uh, were done by uh, <laughs> by uh, oh, what year did I say this came out? Sorry. I know it was three years later. Yeah, yeah, they ended in '84. So there you go. The band has done several reunions since, as we said, is is kind of a theme for these guys. 
And uh, they stated in 2019 they're working on a new album. So guess what, guys? We lucked out, and the world gets another soft sell record. <laughs> wow. <laughs> truthfully, <laughs> truthfully, though, they're not much different than, like, what the chain smokers are doing. So they could just come out and freaking blow us away. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Can you imagine if soft sell becomes the next big thing? Oh my God, <laughs> what a twist that would be in just the story of this this timeline. God, I'd you love it. new... You know what a new soft sell record sounds like to me? What? A hard sell. <clears throat> oh! Hey! Ethan came on tonight! <laughs> That's the joke of the night. That's the joke Ethan of the night. Ethan came in 50 minutes. Anyway, I'll see you guys later. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, we're That's enough. the end of the podcast. We're out. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, why aren't you, you taking away now? I think it's on oh, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I decided to pick the song Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds, which Great song. I think that this is probably not going to go over very well with their fan base because the more I read, the more they weren't really a one-hit wonder worldwide. They were just a one-hit wonder in the U.S. Hey, that's so, fine. Where it matters. Yeah, we're only focusing we're, we're, on the things that pertain to us directly. Like, Yeah, I'm just kidding. Thank you, everyone, for listening to other countries. It really mean a lot to us. Yeah. I listened to their so- other songs. I just never heard them. So I'm like, it still counts to me. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. So, uh, and for all intents and purposes, we'll just truck along as if it's the only song they ever wrote this yeah. episode is loosey goosey baby <laughs> goose <laughs> so the roots of this band began as a punk band in glasgow in scotland called johnny and the self-abusers that formed in 1977 <laughs> this Good band name. only ever released one single and split the day that it was released but <laughs> oh <volatile>. yeah. <laughs> but with this oh, band split we got jim kerr and charlie birch Ooh, that's a hard one. Charlie Burchill and Brian McGee would go on to form the band Simple Minds after the fact. I think there are two other members in the other half of the punk band. Okay. All right. They decided to ditch their punk stage names that they had. They were pretty stereotypical for punk at the time and take a different approach on music. They decided to go for a new wave sound, which was starting to get popular at the time. They picked a, They picked Simple Minds from a song by David Bowie called Gene Genie, which I've never heard. Hmm. The band was able to develop a strong following in Glasgow due to their high-energy shows. It garnered a lot of attention from a band manager and record label owner named Bruce Finley. I think that's how you'd say that. Who knows? Yeah, Yeah, it looks right. Based on what you wrote, it looks exactly right. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Bruce had a record label called Zoom Records, and Zoom Records was actually a subsidiary of Arista Records. Shout out to Zoom. We're using Zoom right now, so thanks, Zoom. (laughs) Zoom Zoom software. I've got all my stuff recording on a Zoom board. What a joke. It's got to be owned by Zoom Records. It's probably rich now. (laughs) And uh, due to Bruce's connections at Zoom Records, in 1978, he got the band signed to Arista Records. And this label had Flock of Seagulls, Ace of Bass, Air Supply, David Bowie, and many, many others. Oh, my God. Not 80s royalty. Yeah. yeah. And I literally just scrolled through the alphabetical and picked the ones I saw and didn't go any further because there were just so many big names. Yeah, like, that's fair. They're owned by Sony now, so obviously they're doing fine. They're <laughs> doing just okay. <laughs> yeah. Sony's tanking, uh, but that's fine. <laughs> Simple Minds put out three albums that had moderate success in Europe, but never were able to chart in the United States. They got like a number 30, I think, in the United States at one point. And the albums themselves hit, never hit higher than 60. In 1981, the band switched from Arista Records to Virgin Records. 
Another and, big label. That's yeah, big. another yeah. big label. They got pulled on a tour with Peter Gabriel. I have no idea who that is. I feel like I know that name, to be honest, and I don't know why is the problem. I have, yeah, I feel like I should, probably should know the name. It's probably one of those big 80s names. I'm going to look it up, and we'll come back to it in a second, because yeah. I feel like I know that name. And just like both of the bands we've talked about so far, they had a ton of band member changes. The only core members that are still in the band today are Jim Kerr and Charlie Burchill. The rest, it's a long list, just like any other 80s band. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hey, Peter Gabriel, Genesis singer. Oh, really? There you go. So the other Genesis singer. Yeah. Hmm. The one before... One before Phil Collins, probably. Phil Collins. Original lead singer. Original lead singer. Yep. That would be it. Yep. Yep. Big. 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 They continue to have European success and released plenty of songs that were charting super well in Europe, but they just could not get their foot in the door at the United States charts. Um, And this was due to some sort of contractual thing with the USA Arista Records. Like... It, it said something about right of the first refusal, which I don't understand. Some legal mumbo jumbo, like they weren't releasing their singles <laughs> in the U- United States at all. So uh, okay. they were just getting screwed by the USA Arista section. It's sounds yeah. like an old yeah. old law. Yeah, like some <laughs> just ancient freaking, which is anti red coat law or something. Uh, I don't yeah, know. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. they literally they hit a number one in the UK, but it didn't chart in the United States at all. It's got a song called Waterfront. So hmm. I don't, it's still doesn't count. It. Still one hit. Yeah. Doesn't count. Does not count. <laughs> does not all count. I care about is what happens right here in the US of A, baby. God bless it. This is where the story gets good guys. All right. But finally in 1985, a little movie called the breakfast club was being released. The song was written Ooh. by Keith Forsey and Steve Schliff. While they were scoring the movie, they wrote the song with simple minds intended to record it. Forzy played a demo for the song for Simple Minds backstage, but they declined to record the song because <laughs> because uh, Jeff Kerr, no Jim Kerr from Jim Kerr. Simple Minds, refused to be a cover band. Like they only wanted to play their own songs. They didn't want to be a band that did like other people's music. Which that's I, gotta I hurt get, now. I get it, but. <laughs> Oh no! I mean, eventually it comes back around, but it goes to like four other people. Yeah. So Forzy went on to offer the song to Brian Ferry. I he did. Oh, I can't remember what I looked it up, but I can't remember. Billy Idol, and they both declined. Forzy's label recommended Billy Idol was too busy with the wedding singer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 85, he was doing the wedding scene with the singer, Adam Sandler. He's making big bucks know, on an airplane. Glenn doesn't deserve uh, <laughs> All he cares about is money. Fancy calls. <laughs> so, really um, good in that. Really good. Forzy's label recommended Corey Hart, who did the song Sunglasses at Night. But Forzy yeah. didn't think it was a fit, so he decided to pass on Corey Hart. Because I'm I sure thought Miley Corey Cyrus Hart wrote that it. song. The, the, I wear my sunglasses <laughs> yeah. and... Did she cover that? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, she did. Uh, 
Also, apparently, a guy named Cy Kernan, who sang for a band called Fix, also passed on the song. So, like, another no-name idiot passed on this awesome song. Nobody wanted it. (laughs) No one wanted this song. It's such a good song. It's such a great song. Yeah, I don't understand. (laughs) So, eventually, uh, No, we'll pass. We'd rather just fade into obscurity. (laughs) It sounds a little too good for us, mate. We're going to pass it on to the next one. We're not in this for the money, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jim Kirby counted to BBC in 2018 that he absolutely hated the idea of recording a song that wasn't his. Now we know that. And they were true artists at heart. Yeah, but like, wouldn't you... Oh man, especially. I like, like that he some, made the statement after he's gotten all the money. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> yeah. after he has the money in 2018, he's like, well, you know, we didn't really want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will take my $2 million royalty check every year, but I don't like it. Yeah. I'll literally, piss on the it. only. I'll piss on it one more time. <laughs> I do. Digitally deposit it first. I do though. use it. I do actually use I it. Put it in there to pay for all my money, things. But... <laughs> but then I piss on it. God, we're gonna get sued. Oh man, screw it. All right, from Scotland. So, yeah, yeah, we're not even doing the right, the right no, bad accent. We're, we're being, we're yeah, bad at this. Oh. I'm not gonna try a Scotland accent, Scottish even, accent. That'd be offensive. We don't even want the money. Oh. That's what they sound like. Oh, <laughs> Is that fat bastard? Is that? Who I don't know. That was Braveheart. <laughs> I was just Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the, the the final tipping point for for Jim Kerr was when Forzy had actually called Jim Kerr's wife was Chrissy Hind, the lead singer and guitarist for the Pretenders. If you recall me doing a terrible rendition of the Chain Gang song by them when we talked about yeah. the drummer who drove yeah. for GNR. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice little connection there. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that was what we got. <laughs> so anyway, we got the words. Yep. She talked Chrissy, like Forzy talked Chrissy into it, and she got super excited about it because of how ad how much admiration Forzy had for the band Simple Minds. So then she talked Jim Kerr into taking it, and he decided begrudgingly that he was going to do it because his new record label A&M Records made him do it I think mm. <laughs> yeah that old chestnut that old that, story that'll do it so they arranged the song and recorded it in three hours they figured it would flop just like everything else they had done in the United States but it didn't the song was huge that? it skyrocketed them into like stellar success like you hear that song you instantly know what it's associated with and it became a great well, thing for them and you know the movie, and the first yeah. thing you think of when the movie is the that song. song. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yep. It's a two-way street there. Without... Yeah. Yeah. It hit number one, stayed there for three weeks. It hit number seven in the UK, which is kind of shitty. <laughs> it stayed <laughs> at in the US for two years, from 85 to 87. It actually held a record for a while because of how long it stayed on the US charts. But the band never hit number one again in the United States. Oh, uh, so, bummer it, summer. It didn't even appear on an album. It it appeared as a single, and then they re-released it on a Best Of album in 1992. But that was the only time they released it on an album. The band still tours to this day, and they were never able to replicate the success they had with that song in the United States. We could say that's the end of all these. Yeah. Honestly. They... 
They've had many lineup changes. They've achieved five UK number one albums, and they've sold over 60 million albums, but not a one hit, no wonder in the United States. They've done fine. They've done a shitload of albums. Are they okay with it is the question. I would be a little hurt. (laughs) Technically, it's still one hit wonder. Well, it's crazy, too, because, like, this movie... When when you got approached, I feel like they had to pitch the movie in some way to have Soft Cell want to do the song or to, you know, say you should you do this mind. song. Yeah, yes. do me simple, simple minds, <laughs> not Soft Cell. My mistake. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but like, be like, yeah, it's got Molly Ringwald in it, who's like yeah. a huge actress. She was the actress of the 80s. Like, it's got Judd Nelson in it, who's a huge, huge actor. Like, it's. Got, so even before it was an iconic movie, it was set it was to be still, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, was it was set to be great. And the, exactly. the guy that wrote the, uh, the wrote the movie is a great movie writer too. Like yeah, and so I don't know how they were. I mean yeah, it's, I don't know how they weren't immediately jumping on this, and they're so lucky that it came back to them. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah they did luck out in the end. Imagine Billy Idol doing this song. That would have been fun. Oh god, just like. <laughs> Don't you forget about me? Oh my! Don't you forget? I can't do it to White Wedding. I tried to. I was trying to. (laughs) Oh golly! This is the only song. That's a good story. That's a surprisingly convoluted story, but you did a great job with it, Ethan. Weird story. Yeah. In one page. Man, killing it! And for my next song, we're gonna get a little. uh, we're going to get a little stadium chanty in here. Oh, we're gonna are do we? Who Let the Dogs Out by yeah, the Bahamut. <laughs> who Let the Dogs Out? God, that song just will not die. It's never going to. It's the Keith Richards of movie, music. It will not <laughs> die. Thank you, sports. Thank you, oh, sports. Man. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. So the band... Uh, the Baja Men was formed in 1977. Wow, They're that old! And this this song came out in 2000. <laughs> they, what are they, they doing? Were, <laughs> they were years. They're just yeah. They, they released one song a year, uh, and then they just relaxed for 11 months. That's awesome. That's I don't know how if that's I'd like true. to be. So they they were actually came out under the name High Voltage. And they played a type of music called Junkanoo in clubs and bars around the Bahamas, where they were all originally from. They released three albums on their own, self-funded uh, and everything like that, before being noticed by Steve Greenberg with Atlantic Records in 1992. So, I mean, they had already been doing this for like 15 years Good before Lord. they had been noticed. That's Yeah, that's perseverance. Yeah. But I guess they I think they had a little bit of a following and or or not a following, but like they were doing fine in the Bahamas. Yeah. They were just going to clubs and stuff and playing Hanging their Junkanoo and then whatever. That's a fun word. You better believe I'm going to just kind of pepper it in throughout this whole thing. I've just been junking a new round town. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Soft sell. Yeah, they're like a uh, junk a new type band, right? Why are you going back to Soft Cell? <laughs> Why do you like Soft Cell so much? I don't know. Not because I've been drinking. Oh, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be one. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bring it back, baby. Yep. So they were, that was a good so one. Let's drive it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so they were signed to a subsidiary of Atlantic Records called Big Beat Records. They were all. They also convinced the band to change their name from High Voltage to the Baja Men, named because they were men from the Bahamas. 
man. That's very smart. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd want to change, but I don't know if I'd want to be so on the nose. <laughs> well, and the type of music they play is called Bahamian reggae music. So oh, okay. It's not Junkanoo's the fun name for it, but Bahamian is the oh. also fun name for God, it. That's an informative sode. It was probably an exec that was like, you guys need them to rebrand. So they like probably took like an assistant like, you need to go tell them that we said they need to change their name to this. Cause I don't know that do they it. suggested the best name, but <laughs> like, yeah, they, they really spent three minutes on it. And then they're like, Oh man, it's 1158. We got to come up with a name. And I am hungry. So. <laughs> Jamaica dudes. Baja, man. There, Bam, yeah, Baja, that's Baja. it. Let's call it. <laughs> So in 1998, Steve decided to leave Atlantic Records and go to Mercury Records, where we talked about. And then two years later, he started his own label called S-Curve Records, and he brought the Baja men with him on every step of the way. He had been shown a song a couple of years earlier by a guy named Anselm Douglas, who had a song called Doggy. And Steve hated the song, but he really liked the hook. He showed it to the guys in the Baja Men, and they were actually pretty unimpressed by it at first and didn't think that they wanted to do it. Greenberg knew that the upbeat party nature of the Baja Men could make the song something really special, so he persisted that they do it, and they eventually gave in. I looked up the Anselm Douglas version of it, and it's just... It basically the Baja Men just remixed it to make it really upbeat and stuff. It's it's an Anselm Douglas song, and on the album the writer is Anselm Douglas, so he gets probably a good, pretty good amount of uh, like royalties. From, what did it sound yeah. like though? It's it's just a slower, not as like party version of of the song. That's all it is. is it sad? Think of without uh, the cowbells. Oh, what's uh, think of uh, God? What is that? I don't know why I can't think of that song. Richard Cheese. <laughs> what? It's <laughs> a deep cut. Uh, oh, there's a very... I don't know. I can't think of the song. There's a very upbeat... I'm going to think of it in like 10 minutes. I'm going to be so pissed that I couldn't think of it. <laughs> uh, but there's a very upbeat song that that everyone knows, and then another guy did it as acoustic, and it was very, very... Oh, uh... uh hey, uh... Nope. Higher love. Higher love. Bam. There it is. Give me a higher love. Oh, I didn't know there was an acoustic version of that. Yeah, there's a way softened down version of it. And it's kind of like that, but not to that extreme. Okay. So, um, okay. yeah. So that's the An- the Anselm Douglas is the acoustic version of the Baja Men. All right. Yeah. Sorry that it, that took me so long to find. Worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It really panned out. Uh, so... So, uh, there we go. So they all headed to Miami to work at the home studio of Mike Mangini, who produced the song. They recorded in early 1999, and the song was released as a single on July 26th of 2000, the day after their album of the same name came out. And it was instantly a huge success around the world. It reached number one in Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. And it reached number six on the U.S. dance singles, and actually only reached up to 18 on the number on the mainstream top 40, and then number 40 on the Billboard Top 100. Sorry that that's uh, kind of convoluted, but that's makes fine. perfect sense. <laughs> perfect sense. 
the song was beat out by songs like Absolutely by Nine Days, Pinch Me by Bare Naked Ladies, Country Grammar by Nelly, and the number one song that week was Come On Over Baby by Christina Aguilera. Oh, Christina Aguilera. Come on, on over, over baby. baby. Good song. Definitely hasn't aged as well as uh, Who Let the Dogs Out. That song still uh, slaps. Yeah, fucking know it has it. So the song kind of came and went, but even before it was released to the public, it was used by the Seattle Mariners uh, actually as a joke. They played it when one of their backup pitchers came out and then they thought that it was going to kind of be funny, but instead people really liked it. And then Alex Rodriguez asked two days later if he could use the song as his walkout song, which is a pretty big honor. I mean, Alex Rodriguez is real big. Yeah. So to get that song to be your walkout song, I'm sure that he paid a pretty penny for it. Yeah, way um, to go, man. Oh, man. And he nabbed J-Lo, so he makes him smart. He's a, he's a smart man. <laughs> he does well. He's a businessman. <laughs> so the song wasn't long for radio, but it took on a life of its own as a sports anthem for all sports far and wide, being used in football, baseball, soccer, and even monster trucking. I'm pretty sure that there's a monster truck loosely based on, like, the canine, and so they obviously <laughs> meant to be song. a dog for the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get it. Um, it helped the album sell well over 3 million copies. Like I said, for the other bands, like, this one single will sell the whole album a ton, yep. helping it hit triple platinum. And it's still used for a ton of sporting events today. If you go to any sporting event, there's a good chance you're just going to hear a little clip of it because it's just, you just put that, who let the dogs out? Everyone will cheer. Yeah, everyone will go <laughs> hog wild for it. So uh, it will live, probably live on longer than any of us. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. And how could we forget its use in the movie Snow Dogs? Yeah. Do you remember that with Cuba Gooding Jr.? Fun story. I went to go see that movie one night at a pre-screening, like they're doing a test run of it. And what? I was, yeah, where, where uh, were my, you? Were you like false. seven at the time? <laughs> it was in two thousand. I was in third grade. Okay, and okay. You were eight. <laughs> you oh, yeah, were eight. That yeah, that's that's third grade. I know that, but like, you could have just what, said what, almost what, what, when Tony asked. I don't, don't want to name drop anyone that was letting me into this pre-screening. Oh. But why? But why was there a pre-screening for Snow Dogs in, in Iowa, Iowa Falls, Falls Iowa? Oh, no, 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 you were eight. Eight. The test, the test screen before they air it the next night. Oh, yeah. like to make sure the, yeah, the make sure film works, right. worked properly. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't were, like yeah, a were, private affair yeah, with private, like a not, buffet yes. and. Like I, I thought knew. you were like raiding the <laughs> no, movie. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I had to go, and go I just, sit around I, the conference table afterwards. And be like, I really like the dogs in it. <laughs> the, the fun part didn't get to didn't get to see it that night. Got hit by a car in front of the theater. What? <laughs> I walked out in front of a freaking car. <laughs> oh my Didn't god! Didn't get to see it that night. Wow! You, you buried later. the headline, man. <laughs> yeah. There it is. <laughs> oh man, what a yeah. fucking ride! Yeah, yeah fucking ride, man. <laughs> oh god. Okay, well, how about that? Uh, I Back don't to this less what... interesting story yeah. now. What <laughs> <laughs> the night Ethan went to a private screening of a movie and got, got hit over. by a car? Hang out with the Baja men and Cuba Gooding Jr. Just kidding, a guy. Hit by a car. <laughs> oh man! Wow. 
Okay, cool. Well, let's now discuss the meaning of this song, (laughs) Who Let the Dogs Out. So everyone has their idea of what the song means, and I'm pretty sure we can all say that we have the same idea of what the song means. Everyone kind of totes it like, do you know Who Let the Dogs Out isn't about dogs? It's actually about, like, ugly women. That's what everyone thinks. It's about ugly women coming into a club and then the men asking, Who Let the Dogs Out? Calling the women dogs. I didn't know that and had never thought that. How about yeah? That's that's everywhere I see everyone's or every not that I like actively seek out huh. who let the dogs out song meaning, but like yeah, I just always, never cared enough, I guess. But yeah, I didn't make that it, connection. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. But Anslem Douglas actually says this is not correct. Mm-hmm. He says, and this is a. Uh, he says that uh, it's actually feminist in tone. And so this is a direct quote from Anslem. It sounds like it's, revisionist history, but you can yeah, you, you all think, decide here. Yeah, I don't know if, uh, which <laughs> came first, the chicken or the egg on this one. <laughs> so he says, quote, this is a man bashing song. I'll tell you why. The lyrics in the song say the party was nice. The party was pumping. And when I said the word party, I was being metaphorical. It really means things were going great. The <laughs> yippee-i-o, that's everybody happy, right? And everybody was having a ball. Life was going great until the men started name-calling. And then the girls responded to the call. So the men started calling the women skank and skettle, every dirty word you can think of. The men started the name-calling, and then the women, resp- the girls respond to the call. And then a woman shouts out, who let the dogs out? And we start calling men dogs. It's really a man-bashing song. Now, whether that's actually true or, yeah, it, like we said, if, if Anselm is trying to save face on calling a bunch of women ugly and then trying to be like, I didn't do that. I would never do that. <laughs> you be the judge on that You be the judge on that one. Uh, but after the album came out, they rode the wave of this song as long as they could. They released two more albums, or they released more albums in 2004, 2002, 2004, and then again in 2015. And they've released singles as recently as last year. So they're still going, likely gracing, like casinos and (laughs) fairs all the time. Like just every place that will just take washed up guys. Uh, And I'm sure that's what they're doing. And yeah, they're still going strong. So that's the story of the Baja men and who let the dogs out? Nice. Oh man, destined to destined to the life of the free stage at the state fair along with Biz Marquis. And why did we not cover Biz in this? I'm sorry, that's a disservice, honestly. Hey, yes, we this is this is a series that we're gonna do. We'll like, come back not to it. Very we'll often, back. but we're gonna do it when we need there like a little break from but... doing heavy heavy bands yes, and do. stuff. So oh, we're man. We like doing this. This yeah. is easy. Fun. This is great. And uh, so let's let's keep trucking along. So next on our list, we have the hilarious clusterfuck Ice Ice Baby, the major hit song, which was written by a guy who just kind of decided, fuck it, I'm going for it. Uh, <laughs> who was that? Who was that? That was, well, nah, hey, I got this, I got this. Oh, I mean, it I'm going to, I'm oh, going to yeah. draw He's it out. Everybody knows, why. but there's funny things behind it anyway. Mm. So, he just <laughs> said, screw copyright laws. So Love it. this was released in 1989. Uh, and Ice Ice Baby was actually the first song of the hip-hop genre to hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Everybody knows this song. I, uh, 
after collaborate and pursue. After it was on Dumb and Dumber, er, oh, okay. I really wanted the the sequel, yeah. the prequel, as the it would one be, that people to. try to kind of forget about. <laughs> I I loved it as a I did 14, like it as a child. thirteen year old. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I really wanted to learn this whole song, and now I'm glad that I didn't because it's not a good song. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, most people know the song, and a lot of people know the mind boggling story behind it. But if you don't. It it's fun. So yeah. the song samples the beat from Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen. And the problem with that is Yes, exactly. Ethan knows it. But the problem with that is that none of them had any idea until it was released. And so we'll circle back huh. to that later. Of course not. <laughs> why, would, why would they get? Why would they be asked if they want to be involved or be notified? Or so for those of you who are unaware, Ice Ice Baby was written and performed by Vanilla Ice. For those of you who are aware, basically everyone, you may be unaware with his real name, which is Robert Van Winkle. And it, <laughs> every every time I'm reminded it, I get such a good, satisfying laugh. <laughs> Not sure why he didn't stick with his real name. Yeah, I don't know why he his stage name. At age 16, about six years before its release, Van Winkle wrote the lyrics based on a shooting that he had witnessed in South Florida. And uh, every piece of information I found about this song makes it just funnier and funnier because it was, <laughs> it was originally released as a B-side for, his, for Robert's first release. And that is a cover of Play That Funky Music. This oh, was yes. released with a radio, instrumental, and a cappella version of the song. And <laughs> Vanilla Ice performing Play That Funky Music a cappella is just as good or just as bad as it does or does not sound. Whatever you Fun go thing. into it listening, Can whatever you, you find think. that song? Oh, yeah, it's on. It's, yeah, it's easily findable. Oh, good. I, it does have like play. a shake egg and like a... <laughs> and it, but that's it. I... Almost like, did play that funky music for this instead of one of my songs. <laughs> oh man! Is, well, you didn't do the acapella uh, version of play that funky music by Vanilla Ice. Is it like slam poetry? Is like stop. Or no? No, I was gonna. A, I was no, gonna no, no, do. No. I was gonna <laughs> do. Like, you're, no, you're, see, you're, you're stuck on the wonder. You're stuck on the one hit of the wonder. Yeah. Play that funky play. music right. I'm just gonna say it is exactly how it's gonna sound when you look it up because I'm sure you will because it's a gem. Lay down the boogie and play that funky music till it's right. Not really it like that. Right. No. no, it's actually not. Like it's just been ice doing it with no, Damn. with nothing but a shake egg in the back. So God, uh, I can't wait to hear it. Well, Ice Ice Baby is hugely popular. It's obviously pretty problematic because, like I said, it uses the beat of Under Pressure, and none of the artists were ever contacted. There was no royalties, no writing credits ever given. Just took the song and said, fuck it, here we go. I'm, I'm going to say this is just a synchronicity. Yeah. No, Both well, parties were unaware. Well, he'll try to explain. Yeah, he had no idea, man. He had no idea what the beat was. Know, it just was a happy coincidence, yeah. And so, don't worry, this does definitely bite him in the ass because he almost gets sued big time by by Queen and Bowie and settles outside of court having to pay reparations, though I couldn't find the actual amount. Sure, it was big. Sure, it was sizable. It was yeah. uh, so, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he had to give up writing credit, too. Yeah. Like, yep. I'm pretty sure yeah. he had to give up all his royalties and everything, or uh, at least mostly. Yeah, so, so it worked out for him. It was a good choice. 
And so uh, we'll, we'll have to post it on the website. But as I was just alluding to, there is an interview in 1990 where Van Winkle tries to explain the difference between his beat and the original beat, stating that there's an extra note, even though that doesn't really make it okay. Which obviously Van Winkle is well aware of because in later interviews, Van Winkle says that he was joking and he really did just sample the beat. Huh. Van Winkle. Just a joke, huh. guys. Everyone, just a joke. Yeah, I didn't mean it. Obviously, guys, he was kidding. I wasn't lying. I was joking. <laughs> the video is funny because he goes, there's this ding, 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 ding. Ours is ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, if you don't hear that, then obviously you just don't listen to music. Yeah. Austin, I just had a great idea. You need to shave an eyebrow. Oh, God, no. I think just you can get stabbed for that, can't you? Just hit it. Just hit one, dude. I don't know, man. <laughs> Screw it. What happens? I don't want to step on any toes. I don't want to be out of place. Yeah, I think it sounds like what can happen is Austin might get stabbed for it. That's fine. <laughs> sounds like real-world consequences. <laughs> So as it turns out, the beat is not the only issue with the song. Mario Chocolate Johnson, chocolate in quotes, he claimed that he helped write the song but never received any royalties or writing credits. And the funny part about this is Johnson is uh, associated with Suge Knight. So there are definitely some stories out there. Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) One, I can't remember the hotel. Very swanky uh, hotel. Uh, Vanilla Ice was having dinner and apparently Suge and a few of his bodyguards came in and Vanilla Ice's bodyguards were around the table and they just like shoved through him like we're not even concerned for a second with Vanilla <laughs> Ice's bodyguards and the, uh, and Suge just sat down at the table across from him and stared at him for like a whole minute and then apparently just was like so how you doing <laughs> and that was really the extent of it and then another time uh, Suge one of the defensive line for the Oakland Raiders and Johnson went into the suite that uh, Van Winkle was staying at. And according to uh, Van Winkle, he was taken out on the balcony by Suge Knight. And basically it was alluded that if he didn't give Johnson writing credits, he was going to be thrown off the balcony. So so that's how that ended. How business is done. That's how you handle it. And if you don't know who Suge Knight is, look it up. You should. He's in jail. Yeah, he's in jail. He He pretended to be blind in court. He was associated with NWA and did terrible things. He has many questionable things in his repertoire that either are or are not true, and I will not take a single stance on it. We're not going to even touch it ever is what we're going to do. We're going to skip right over it. Yeah. So moving on, moving along with Robert, uh, Robert did manage to find it. Let me just say yeah. up front, yeah. I'm so glad that you just have chosen to never say no, Vanilla Ice he's again. Not, he's not getting it. He I gave him the one up Robert. top and that's it. That's all he gets. He's Robert Van Winkle and all this. God bless him. Yeah, and, and Robert, he managed to find a little bit of success in a much more niche genre. So basically not success at all. But he did put out a couple of pretty cool new metal records or rap metal records alongside Ross Robinson, who uh, did first to corn did the first two slipknot huge huge in in the metal world and uh he did an album called bipolar which featured uh josh brainerd who was the original uh guitarist of slipknot that wrote most of self-title that jim root ended up replacing so as someone who really likes this kind of genre and i, I mean i used to listen to bipolar a lot but i'm still 
not going to recommend it unless you really like that kind of thing, because <laughs> there is definitely such a thing as too new and you, and it is, it, it hits that mark. <laughs> that's the acquired day. Yeah. So he, that's kinda, the... he switched drives to that for a while, started doing that. And, uh, you know, since in his later life, Winkle pretty much has just gone on to be a general joke and a, a pretty all around <laughs> terrible person. He's had several domestic abuse charges. And in 2015, he was arrested and charged with burglary, burglary and grand theft because he stole some bicycles, some furniture, and weirdly enough, a pool heater from a house that he claimed was vacant. Naturally, if it had been vacant, it would, be, it would have been fine, but it wasn't. So he did get in trouble. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, I'd, nobody lives here, so I can steal whatever I want. State owned, right? Yeah, so Robert Van Winkle is doing just fine nowadays. Just fine. He's got did he go under the name? Did he go under the name Vanilla Ice when he did the new metal? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, you gotta. Yeah, I guess you gotta keep. Uh, you gotta embrace oh, yeah. it. You can't rebrand yeah. at that. Exactly. Point. Yeah, you gotta keep the brand going. He also <laughs> somehow managed to slip into an Adam Sandler Andy Samberg movie at a very big role, and he that, just that's uh, my boy. Yeah, that's, that's my, my boy. boy. He's Uncle Vinny. Yeah, he does just as well as you'd expect him to do. You know, yeah. those kind of <laughs> everyone who saw the movie was like, "That's Vanilla Ice." That is him. It's <laughs> actually him, and I can tell it's him acting. He had a house flipping show too, where right. he would just buy houses and flip them. Did he? Yeah, Did I, well, I believe it. On. I just remember seeing commercials. It looked and terrible. I think he was also on like season eleven of The Apprentice or something. Oh my god, The Apprentice. I don't know what season it was, but I made I said eleven because it was a later one. It was after it was doing so well. <laughs> no one's watching it. Let's on get vanilla, son. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. That's the All story right. of Vanilla Ice and Ice Ice Baby. You know what very I, different. You know what I need next? I need a little what? bit of Ethan in my life. <laughs> so, oh. one, two, three, four, five. Everybody on the bus said, come on, let's ride to it. All right, next song. I Lou love, I love Lou Vega. Everybody loves no. Lou and everybody loves wow. Mambo number five. You know what? I got to queue up. A local, unnamed townsperson in Iowa Falls walking around town uh-huh. with a Walkman on. <sighs> and he is just belting. Every word. Mambo number well, five. Not every word, but it's more like a... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There is some nostalgia attached to this there song. There is so much nostalgia attached to that. And that was a self-service joke. That's what that uh, was. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was all for us. Not the first, not the last. That's right. I'll never be the last. <laughs> Lou Bega was born David Lou Bega. In Munich, West Germany, in 1975, to a Sicilian mother and a Ugandan father. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Okay, his I've name got... is Lou Bega? <laughs> yeah. And he just is... decided to make a stage name Lou Bega? Yes, two he did. And said what? <laughs> you guys are going to love this. Oh, wow. So, I did not know that. Oh, man. Let me just, let me strap in because I feel is... like I'm in for a hell of a ride. But just to clarify, <laughs> David, space, L-U-B-E-G-A. Lubega. <laughs> one word. Lubega. He just decided David to separate Lubega. So, <laughs> also he's fa- German. Yeah, he's yes. yep. he is, he is, he is a he's Ugandan father, Sicilian mother, born in West Munich. So, <laughs> yeah, all right, this is crazy. Oh, so, 
He lived with his mother until he was six in Sicily. He then moved to Munich permanently with his father. At 13, he started a rap group with two friends. They released a CD in 1990 that I don't even I didn't even try to find it. I'm sure it's just normal rap. Okay. But he went to Miami. And while he was there, he dis- discovered Latin music and was heavily influenced by it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that influences taste. And you can hear that in Mambo Number no. 5, obviously. When yes, Lubega returned to Germany, he met with a man who would become his manager, Gore Biesenkamp, as well as the producers Ooh. Frank Leo or Hakim Kleist, <laughs> Donald Fact or Wolfgang von Webenau, who made up syndicate music production. You made sure to make this get the most oh, difficult man. one you could. I'm yes. so glad you're covering this because I I knew he was German and I always wondered why it sounds like such a South American song and I'm glad we're getting it here. There it is. <laughs> and I, is I can't confirm that these people uh, were or had family that were Nazis, but Wolfgang von Webenau kind of sounds Nazi. Uh, I don't Acklem know. Kleist doesn't sound <laughs> <laughs> <Acklem> Kleist. <laughs> oh, you mean it's Herr, Herr Acklem Kleist? <laughs> yeah. That, just, that sounds like it was ripped straight from a Hitler speech. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I can make jokes about my own people, right? My, mein Kampf was uh, Hitler's book. So That's with right. their help, they developed the concept of cover to cover the song Mamba Number no. 5. And yes, you heard me right. This song is a cover of a song that was released in 1949 by oh. Damaso Perez Prado. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the original song was actually a jazz mambo fusion song and is super simple. It it only has lyrics in the last, like, minute maybe of the song. It's pretty simple. But you can hear the beat is very similar. So so they took so he took the music as a cover and then yeah, put his own exactly. lyrics to it. Interesting. Okay. Yes. That's he did cool. not use any of the lyrics, but he <laughs> definitely used the the instrumental section. Cool. Lou Vegas' version was a huge hit. It reached number three in the U.S. In France, it broke a record for staying at number one for 20 weeks. This song would be Lou Vegas' only top 40 hit in the United mm. States. That's wow. true. Heartbreaker. Like, <laughs> like everyone else, like Vanilla Ice, it did come with some legal controversy as well. Prado's estate, so his family, defended against Vegas producers who essentially tried to get 100% of the money, didn't give him any writing credits. Jesus. So the court's final final ruling decided that Lubega's cover was a song (laughs) co-written by Prado because they used the instrumental section and Hmm. because of his use of the riffs from the original song. So Lubega had to cite Prado as a co-writer and give the estate partial proceeds. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I'm just the so album. glad that Tony and I both found out alongside each other that his last name is one word. <laughs> just went by it as two. Lubega. Yeah. It's genius <laughs> wow. marketing. We're, we're talking. It's a genius marketing strategy. This is like, the reason we do it, people. Name. This is why we do <laughs> it. <laughs> you go by Bo? Me. You think we're just teaching you guys? We're half a page ahead of you with what we're learning. <laughs> That's, That's all the more we know. <laughs> <laughs> so the album, A Little Bit of Mono, did really well internationally as well. It peaked at number three in Germany, number 50 in the UK, number one in Austria, Canada, Finland, Hungary, and Switzerland. But after That's this awesome. album, Lubeg. Lubega really had 
moderate success, and it was mostly in Europe. Since 2013, he has released five albums, but appears that he hasn't performed live since 2016. He now resides in Berlin, Germany somewhere, and probably just sits comfy on those sweet, sweet royalties from an internationally giant song. Yeah, it's a great song. Go listen to the most expensive girl in the world. It's a fairly good song. That's also written by Lou Vega. I don't know. I might check it out. Fairly good or yeah. Doesn't it was fairly good to a a seven year old. To a seven year old at Iowa Falls is pretty good. <laughs> Not bad at all. Fun. Okay. Fun. You know, I just man, this just popped into my head, and this is actually a good little story. One time when I was in, I think third grade, I was walking to the uh, bus stop, and I found a CD on the ground. Just uh, scratched to hell, blank CD. No idea why I thought to keep it, but I did, and I put it in my PlayStation when I got home because it had that media player. If you guys remember the PlayStation oh, yes. media player, oh man, what a Sony's thing! Sony's always pushing, yeah. pushing that. What a thing! Oh, yeah. yeah, oh yeah. If you were tripping on that, you'd probably never come out of it. But um, yeah. Only song on it, Mambo Number no. Five, and oh man, was I excited because I knew the song before that, and man, I didn't own it, so that was a that was a day for Tommy. That's a freaking goldmine in freaking 1999, dude. I don't know. You find a whole song, yeah. you can just play it over and over again, and it's popular. That some people like, don't get I, to struggle anymore. I, I'm going to burn this $6 If I hear this CD. song one more time, I'm going <laughs> to kill my whole family. <laughs> so they threw it out the window and I found it. But they actively burned one song onto a one. CD yeah, I don't when know, man. CDs were the primary medium. That was my first suspect, Baby. to be completely it honest. It had to be. It had it to be. He's been. probably pissed. <laughs> We're just it's a good yeah, we just rapping. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> just say it again. Double down on this. <laughs> Double down on it. <laughs> oh, All right. So we're gonna get into my last song now, and I will be covering the band Chumbawamba Woo! and their song "Tub Thumping," or as it's much more commonly known, I get knocked down and I get up again. You gonna keep me down? This sings a song about the hens about the bottle times. This sings a song about the hens about the bottle times. He drinks a whiskey drink. He drinks a lager drink. He drinks a solid drink. He drinks a vodka drink. Oh, man. So the band was formed in 1982 in Leeds, England by Alan Both Wally. Leeds again. Soft sell. Leeds. There you go. Hey, guys. England's putting out good music, man. What's up? It's pronounced Reading Festival. All right. Fuck that up. <laughs> oh, dear. Well. Yeah, we did get told stuff. through our whole MC. Well, we got told after we released like the second. Th- before we ever said Reading Festival, we got someone that was like, hey, if you talk about the Reading Festival, you should pronounce it Reading because people say Reading. It's, it's not. It's we had Redding. already recorded them. I'm sorry. It's too late. Oh, my. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Name? We re- Kaz Jen. Kaz Jen, I'm sorry. We it's recorded all of our episodes very far in advance. So when you're <laughs> hearing it, we're, it's already long. If you recorded. try to correct us in the middle of a series, chances are it's been covered and it's, we're not going we're back. 
and we're so sorry about it. <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll listen put out to a public about, apology. Listen two to three episodes later, and you will get your apology probably. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, this is how far in advance we are. Right now, uh, part three of my chemical romance is out, and we are recording this episode. Our so. third since the fourth one. After. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very cool. Um, yes, so. Let's get back to this. Sorry about uh, mispronouncing Caveo wrong. Sorry about mispronouncing Redding wrong. Sorry about calling amphetamines opiates. (laughs) I tell you what, like I said, half a page ahead of you guys. Half a page. (laughs) We are teaching you as quickly as we're learning now. (laughs) So, okay. So Chumbawamba was founded by Alan Bothwally, Danbury Nobacon, Alice Nutter, Dunstan Bruce and Lou Watts. No bacon, man. No, no bacon, bacon dude. Nutter. <laughs> Alice Nutter. What a name. It all said they sound like fake fake names, yep, but sounds yes. made up, man. I don't know. So they were a standard punk band in the early eighties, following in the footsteps of bands like the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. You know, just typical anarchist punk. People were trying to do in the eighties. They were often played at small venues and tried to play shows for causes like animal rights, anti-war movements, whatever they could find. That's where they would uh, mainly play their show. Wherever they were a cause, they were there. Wherever there was a cause, I'll say that again. Wherever there was a cause, (laughs) they were there. And if they They were the cause, they were still there. Also there. They were the cause, they were there. (laughs) So they signed to Crass Records, a label that exclusively signed punk and anarchist bands. They were with them until 1986 when they decided to jump on their own label, which were they were, which they were calling Agate Prop, where they released five albums before joining the label called One Little Indian Records and then releasing two more studio albums. And then in 1997, the band signed with EMI, putting them on a major label for the first time. It was then that they got to work on their eighth album, which would be called Tub Thumper. The band was going to have an uphill battle as signing us with a major label as a punk band was usually a pretty alienating move for the, the, the fan base that they already had. And this was no exception. But they went ahead and recorded it anyway. And on August 11th, they released their first single, Tub Thumping. It Just was an instant success. Surprisingly not punk. <laughs> Not yeah. punk at all. No. I had no idea this was a punk band. Darkly unpunk. <laughs> just like Simple this. Minds. Yeah, it's just, I mean, maybe this punk band needs to not be a punk band to yep. make it. But maybe that's just the, just sometimes just the you're the wrong, wrong genre. genre. Yep. I think they just stuck with it, so that's why they never really had success again. So this song, Tub Thumping, was an instant success around the world, hitting number one in Australia, Canada, Ireland, Italy, New Zealand, Scotland, and several U.S. charts. But it did only reach number six on the U.S. Hot 100. The band capitalized on the six. Yeah. It's wild. And and I didn't look up what beat at this time, but like a lot of these songs that were beat out, they're beat out by forgettable songs. Like they're not, they're not necessarily like Christina Aguilera beating out uh, Baja Men. Like Christina Aguilera, like Baja Men's song is way more well known. Yeah. Christina Aguilera is way more well known. I definitely know that Christina song, but I could not think of it till you guys started singing it. Yeah. But the fact that it's just like, like we said, the bottle rocket, it's so fast that it's like, well, that was, you know, I don't remember anything else by him. So you, that's why they're the one hit wonders. (sighs) 
of this episode. So, <laughs> so the band capitalized on the success and did whatever they could with it. They actually got in trouble in 1998 when Alice Nutter went on TV to do an interview in which she said that all the people who couldn't afford this album, like their original punk fan base, who uh, punks are usually pretty broke, should just go into the record store and steal the record from it. True hardcore punk fashion. Yes. Yeah, man. this album so so uh, actually this this caused a lot of stores to stop carrying the album or modify how they would sell it like putting it behind the counter so you had to specifically ask for it in order so that people would not steal it but even that couldn't stop the album from selling a whopping 3.2 million copies worldwide good lord and now about the song Tub thumping is an old English word that essentially means getting up and speaking what was on your mind or getting something off your chest. Whenever someone in a movie like gets up on a table and does the, the impromptu speech or whatever, uh, you know, just off the top of their Titanic. off the top of their head. Like that's the office. Tub thumping. Yeah. They're all tub thumping. We've huh. all tub thumped once in our lives. Uh, probably yes. none of us have. I don't think I have. I don't think I have the confidence for that. Yeah, it, it's, it's a pretty me in trouble every it's time. Confident yeah, Ethan's probably tub thumped on accident. So I couldn't find like a definite meaning to this song, like the actual, like the deep meaning behind it. But honestly, I think it's just a fun drinking song. Like. I think that's all it is. It's just a fun song to listen to. In the UK, pissing the night away means drinking all night. So having a whiskey drink, then a lager drink, then a cider drink, then a vodka drink. It's just about having a good time. Those are lyrics in the song. Yeah. Whiskey drink. And then a locker drink, and then a side uh, drink, and then a vodka drink. Drink, drink. Songs that remind them about the good times. Sing songs that remind them of the best times. Yeah, I know it. Don't lie to me. That's my name, Danny Boy. Danny Boy. Come on. Oh, we all man. know it. <laughs> I listened to this song way too much when I was younger. <laughs> Um, so, so to go along with that, tub thumping has actually taken on a new meaning, now meaning going drinking after a long day of protesting or campaigning. And some of the lyrics uh, came from a night when Alan Boff Wally and his wife were in bed and heard their neighbor coming home drunk. He was singing a little tune and kept using the words, oh, Danny, Danny boy. boy. Isn't that a song Danny called boy. Oh, Danny Boy? Yeah, I think he was yeah. probably singing the old oh, limerick. Danny boy, the pipes, yeah. the pipes are calling. Glad <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're getting into old folk songs. Pretty Irish over this, here. Pretty Irish. In this burn in one the episode. Burn in the <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And so that's what he was singing. And so they, they like the words. They like the lyrics, lyricism of it. And so Alan took it for his own. And when uh, the neighbor was trying to get his keys in the door, he fell over and he got back up again. And he did this a few more times. <laughs> and so that's what gave Alan the inspiration for the I get knocked down, but I get up again. What a way to write a fucking song. My <laughs> neighbor just, was smashing him in the yard. <laughs> yeah, he's just so fucking God. mad. He's like, my neighbor was so annoying last night. I was trying to sleep. And he got and knocked down. Then he got up again. Got, then he got, got knocked down. Then he got up got, again. You're never going to keep him down. Keep this man down. <laughs> keep him down. Oh, uh, God. And now it's used for chance and movie trailers worldwide. I mean, wasted. 
it's uh, <laughs> it's a worldwide hit and it will never go away. Much like the Baja Men, I mean, you're going to hear it in in mute in sports stadiums and for, for, for young adult comedies worldwide. It's going to be played in there. So yeah. that's how it goes. So after the album came out, they put out three more albums before most of the band quit in 2004. The remaining members carried on, adding one more member in in 2007, and then releasing three more albums. And in July 2012, the band put a statement on their website saying that Chumbawamba was done. They played a couple more shows in October and November, and that was it. 30 years after they began, they were done. And as far as I can find, they haven't done anything since they broken up. Breaking so the mold. Breaking the mold because that not is not something breakup. that happens for the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, that was not a soft breakup. It was a hard breakup. <laughs> they don't they dead most of the time. That's freaking punk, man. So that's the punk. story of Chumbawamba and their song, Tub Thumping. God. Never get Never going to keep them down. Oh, I <laughs> okay. love it. Yeah. Man, Good. what a history. What a rich Rich history. Mm. My fucking mm. neighbor comes home three in the goddamn morning. He's pissing <laughs> in the yard. Oh, Jesus. I'm writing a song about it. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. Well. Austin, what do you got for your final one? Yeah, my, my third and final one hit wonder finds Tony and myself high school driving around Iowa Falls in his Ford Ranger. Desperately <gasps> trying to hit that high note. Desperately tape trying. Tape cassette. To the eighth inch jack oh, to yeah, plug, you into, our plug old it into your iPod Classic. IPod, That's the only yeah, way to do it. Yep. Of course. Yep. Of course, I'm talking about Take On Me. This song oh, was originally. Take on me. Take, take on me. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. It was originally released in 1984 and it failed the chart, but was then re recorded in 1985 and went on to reach the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 after a grueling 15 weeks of climbing. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's and and this is actually one of the best-selling singles of all time. It has sold over seven million copies. So, needless to say, if you are instantly familiar with this song, you have definitely heard of it. On oh, the yeah. other hand, what? Yeah, I said. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, you have heard of it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm familiar. On the other hand, you might not be too familiar with Aha, the band behind Take on Me. That is a aha, like an exclamation. Yes. Aha. So uh, <laughs> this is an interesting group consisting of only three members, guitarist Paul Wakatar Savoy, <laughs> keyboard. Oh, you picked the hardest <laughs> I, I, I didn't try any of these beforehand, so here we go. Keyboard <laughs> and synthesizer player Meng Fairholm. Men, mm. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> who could forget, singer Morton Harkett. And it's I'm, am, I it's just amazing that they, <sighs> they didn't have a long and fruitful career. Well, I may have forgotten to mention up top. I may have forgotten to mention they are from Norway. So. Oh, <laughs> Lord. It is shocking. Bunch of Scandinavian I'm, Vikings. I am so frightened for the day we do a we fully cover a uh, Norwegian uh, band. Like, like a black metal band? We will be botching oh. the name. And I don't yeah. plan on practicing anything. I plan on going no. in blind. So that's <laughs> kind of... Vickerness. I know that. Yeah, one. well, yeah. There you go. That's good. Good, good job. Uh, so this band was from Norway, but they did 
did move to London to try to increase their chances of breaking out in the music world. Good call. Uh, Ma- mange, 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 mange. mange. I'm going to say mange. mange like like a dog. Yeah, mange. Like, like a coyote. Mange yeah. and Waktar. We're originally <laughs> say it like that every time too. <laughs> so they were originally <laughs> These in are like Star Wars characters. I know. Yeah, you wouldn't believe they were real if I didn't this is probably find them on the internet to Norwegians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so they were originally the two were originally in that's the uh, synthesizer and guitarist. Uh, they were originally in a band together called Bridges. And they had written Take On Me for that band with the working title Miss Eerie. Hmm. So they reworked, re-recorded, then reworked and re-recorded. As I said, it was originally released in 1984 to pretty much no response. And however, the new version released in 85 was accompanied by a groundbreaking and now hilariously dated and nostalgic music video. Mm -hmm. You know what I just put together miss eerie just sounds like misery i i didn't make that connection the entire time i just did very clever thank you very awesome Uh, and and if you do recall family guy did a very funny parody of this music video i do recall that yeah well i actually do recall that (laughs) the the music video is one of the most famous of all time i would say Uh, i'm gonna cover it uh (laughs) yeah the video itself is (laughs) it does pretty well (laughs) so this music video is a half illustrated half live action the premises is uh the pre- or premise whatever you want to say premise yeah. because a premises is like a location or property i know i know words yeah. <laughs> uh it's, it's essentially a lady in a diner reading a comic strip and she she finds herself so seduced by the main mm-hmm. character that she cannot avoid being drawn into the drawing itself and in I'm, the comic yeah she gets pulled <laughs> right in because she is so hot and on uh <laughs> From I could, the drawing character in the comic. Which is the lead the singer anime, of our video. Anime. If you, it's like yeah, hentai for her. Yeah. Uh, could be speculating a little there, but it's pretty comical all around. Oh, What's no, not that, comical is how fucking well this video does, because <laughs> <laughs> the, year, the year of its release, uh, it would win six MTV Music Video Awards, including Best New Artist in a Video, Best Direction, and Best Concept. It won six, was nominated for eight. So pretty, pretty fucking insane. Uh, and so it was so incredibly successful, in fact, that February 17th of this year, Take On Me is one of four music videos in history to reach over a billion views on YouTube alongside <laughs> such hits as November Rain, Bohemian Rhapsody, Smells Like Teen Spirit, and Sweet Child of Mine. Of course, DNR got two of them. Too. That's nuts. <laughs> I, I, I want to attest that for a sec. I'm pretty sure Gangnam Style was the first song of all time to reach a billion views. Just I need to put that out there. Well, it wasn't listed on the uh, the highly reliable su- subject source matter that I took this from. So. <laughs> what was that, Austin? What was that? <laughs> was it, was it didn't start with a W. No, absolutely not. So, uh, yeah. so we'll pretend that it just didn't. We'll, we'll no, say right, with perfect. 100% certainty Gangnam Style has not reached a billion video views yet. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Again, the uh-huh. band. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They had a pretty strong <laughs> career through the rest of the 80s, um, but as you probably guessed, that is almost based entirely on the popularity of Take On Me. Uh, mm-hmm. th- though they do have a few songs that chart, the next highest charting song they have will only reach spot 20, and it doesn't last very long. 
was still awesome for them, but uh, in 1994, so not not too long after, they went into an unofficial hiatus, and they came right back out in '99. Kind of like like we said, kind of the pattern for a lot of these artists, and especially for them because they keep going until 2007. Then they call it quits again, come back in 2015, uh, which you know. It's just the pattern of pattern of the fate these guys are sold to. You just you you have to look at their bank account and just say, it, <laughs> "I'm know, sure it right. follows the same all trend." Right. <laughs> it gets super low right towards the end there. <laughs> my yacht, it's running low on fuel, and yeah. I need more fuel for yeah, my yacht. And that's... my captain said he needs a raise, so yeah. let's go on a six month tour and play. 40 minutes of nobody cares music and then do a 15 minute rendition of take on me (laughs) the mothers of the seven unclaimed children i have are starting to request reparations the the bastardized children (laughs) (laughs) they're all settled outside of court so in in 2017 the group recorded an mtv unplugged session on an island called the, the island of gisk in Norway, <laughs> which is a super secluded <laughs> island, apparently, and they made it a super private affair, like no recording, no phones of any kind were allowed in. It was very intimate, and this was then released on DVD and Blu-ray. I don't know the type of person that buys a DVD release of of an AHA unplugged session, or let alone a, a Blu-ray, but they're mm-hmm. out there. I mean, it, some not everyone wants to watch it in you know 720p. Some people want to get the full HD. Not everybody wants Blu-ray. to watch it at all, but those of them that do <laughs> want to watch it, I yeah. <laughs> I really like that they did like the nobody oh. can record it on their phone. Like we could only uh, it, they, only it the best. they weren't being like prestige. They were like, yeah, if somebody else re- releases it, nobody is going no to fucking pay it. for this. <laughs> yeah, like, this is the only way we're going to get money off of this. So, God. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but to their credit, of this, the acoustic version of Take on Me from the so. session. Still, st- still oh. the same song, but it's it's, sad, but, but uh, oh. it it gets featured on Deadpool too. So still guzzling those royalties down. Oh, it'll be around forever. <laughs> yep. It, this again, all these songs are going to be around for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the band they they started a tour actually in October of 2019, and it was supposed to go till the end of 2020, but obviously has been put on hold. <laughs> Though. During the dates that they did play so far, they did debuted a new song titled Digital River. So any diehard listening AHA fans right now just <laughs> itching for that new record in 2020 might just get their wish. Just know I'm, I'm wishing against you. Yeah. Well, you lucky you. <laughs> gotta open not. <laughs> we are pushing for it to not come. It doesn't happen. <laughs> he can't you can't it, get man. it. Nobody gets it. That's a fake note. <laughs> yeah, I won't say that they had no help with it. Yeah, I'm sure. It was Such real. a good song. Oh, God, boys. One more to go, and what a song. Oh, my golly. All We've... I can say is that my life my is pretty plain. Dude, this is so have sad. T- covered Blind Melon ever so briefly in uh, in another series, our series on yes, Guns N' Roses, because Shannon Hoon, the lead, seri- the lead singer of Blind Melon, 
uh, was a very good friend of Axl Rose. Did so some backing vocals. Did some backing vocals on yeah, some songs. So we're gonna let we're gonna let Ethan about it. take it away from here. <laughs> All right, Ethan, so please take last it. And definitely not, certainly, definitely not least is oh absolutely not no yeah not, not, not the least it might be the best i don't know i Whoa. think no you might be right because this song yeah. it makes you feel good it's shreds. it makes you feel so good and it's really not that happy of no, a song. It's, no it's way. actually pretty somber but it makes <laughs> yeah. you feel, yeah. by blind melon it's such a good song so the band started in 1990 after roger stevens and brad smith both of West Point, Mississippi, a guitarist and bassist, respectively, met vocalist Shannon Hoon, who's from Lafayette, Indiana. Now, Ethan, where, also met, I don't know if Axel Rose is from. I don't, did you Guess say the name of the song? It. You did say "By Blind Melon," but I don't know if we ever was, said "No Rain." Hmm. No Rain. Yeah. The song's called no, no Rain is the name of the song. Did. Yes, <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out later. Someone will find out. Not me. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, they also met. Wait. Well, Lafayette, Indiana, we'll, we'll just do this quick. I yeah. mean, yeah. Axl Rose is also from Lafayette, Indiana. Connections which, everywhere. Yeah, that's where they met interesting. To, to get famous together. So many crossings everywhere. Oh, that it's one was kind of built in. But. Lafayette, yes. Indiana. Yes. I don't yeah, know beautiful vacation any- destination. <laughs> Lafayette, <laughs> Indiana. Anything, if it's anything like Evansville, Indiana, it's a fucking shit. If it's anything like the rest of Indiana, <laughs> go check out a, their meat packing plant. They've got meth. I think they've got meth. My, <laughs> so, my to this day, my favorite Cards Against Humanity card is a one-way trip to Gary, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening in Gary, Indiana, thank you so much. Thanks we appreciate it. I hope you're doing well. <laughs> so, Roger Stevens and Brad Smith met Christopher Thorne, a guitarist who was from Pennsylvania. This is all out in L.A. They eventually convinced a drummer named Glenn Graham to relocate from Mississippi to Los Angeles, where they were all living. They decided on the band name Blind Melon due to a figure named Blind Lemon Jefferson, who was a 1920s <laughs> blues artist. Oh. And also there was another character from a Cheech and Chong skit, I think from one of the movies, named Blind Melon Chitlin. I'd assume it's lightly based off of Blind Lemon Jefferson, who was the 1920s blues artist, but I what, didn't look it up. Okay. Was was Lemon Jefferson, uh, was his eyesight less than ideal? Maybe. Yeah, maybe he was a little blind. Who knows? We could never know. We could know. We could look it up. <laughs> who could know? I'm not doing it. <laughs> so they put together a four-song demo in 1991 and got picked up by Capitol Records in huge, the same year. Huge grab. Yeah. yeah. Right out of the game. Yeah, a four-song demo. The uh, yeah. not-so-well-known Capitol Records. Not-so-well-known. Capitol Records off a four-song demo. So not too that bad. year... <laughs> They recorded an unreleased EP called The Sippin' Time Sessions with David Briggs. Huh. They hated how it sounded, and they said it sounded too doctored or too polished, hmm. so they never released it. Huh. And Hoon actually developed a really good friendship, which we've already discussed with Axl Rose during this time and was featured on the song Don't Cry on Use Your Illusion 1. Uh, no, actually, he, it wasn't during this time. He, Shannon Hoon had been friends with Axl Rose yeah, for a really before long they time. even – began like, yeah yeah I'm sure. growing up they were friends yeah that makes yeah so he was like sense. helping them that. a lot before or during uh appetite probably being written. why they got so popular so fast oh it definitely helped if you were friends with yeah. axel rose in the God. mid 80s or uh, late 80s, 80s probably didn't have to try super hard yeah. no. God. Well, if axel rose could give you a good word yeah you were fine 
God. Blind Melon would embark on a tour that year supporting Soundgarden. After the tour, Capitol Records Chris recommended... Yeah, Ethan, Ethan normally says it, but he can't right now. I so. usually say yeah. it. I, I'm, I forgot to say it. I, I'm helping so, you. I'll help you. <laughs> the Capitol Records decided to relocate them to Durham, North Carolina to begin working on their first LP. <laughs> They were literally touring with Soundgarden with only a demo release, which is sounds insane to me. Yeah, that's wild. Why a lot of confidence? Why I feel like you in just, ninety in during yeah, in ninety ninety one yeah North like, Carolina. That's, why? A, that's so, where you re, re, it's, reposition. It's, it's be, I, I believe it was because of the producer that was there. Is okay. my guess. I mean, I'm sure that they have. I'm sure they have studios in North Carolina. <laughs> I'm sure that they're not run by donkeys on treadmills. But like, you're in LA, and they're like, "No, nah, you got it. All right, you guys want to know a really good place to record? You should go to North Carolina and well, record there." To be fair, oh, you're trying to write a song that sounds like you're sitting in a field under a leaf that's dripping water on your head while you chew a piece of tobacco under. <laughs> yeah, there that, it is. That, that's North Carolina. I mean, right. what, tobacco is it fields ca- fucking everywhere. Is it cause and effect? Did they write the song and then they were like, you should go here? Or they were like, we're in North Carolina. I guess we're going to just have to write, write the song. most song. Yeah. <laughs> you know About this song? How their Sounds... life is pretty plain. And... <laughs> it's definitely the producer, though, because they worked with Rick Parishar, who produced Pearl Jam's first album, 10. Mm, okay, that's, okay, that's okay. actually pretty big. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. probably why. Yeah. The sessions were recorded in London Bridge Studio. Carolina? Get the hell out of there! You're going to love this next part. So the sessions were actually recorded in London Bridge Studio in Seattle, Washington. Right. Oh, of course. All right. <laughs> yeah, why would, this any, why would this ever All make right. sense? So <laughs> the album was recorded mostly live with minimal overdubs like they were recording as a live band and then anything small they would overdub but that was pretty much it live tracks and that's dope small other stems which is really cool people don't do that yeah that's cool i like that i like that they released the eponymous album in 1992 which means self-titled i didn't explain that to my wife earlier i'm glad you picked it for the script yeah. Yep. So, okay. initially, it was not well received until MTV picked up the music it's video your, for No Rain. Five grammar lesson. There it is. Featuring the B girl, which, if mm. you recall from the music video, there's a little girl that tap dances and she's wearing a little B costume and she starts tap dancing That's at the right. beginning and then she gets laughed at and then she gets really sad. It's very cute. So, it's a cute video. Yeah. But, yeah. Sounds cute, at least. Song. Yes. Yeah. The song is credited to the whole band, but the bassist, Brad Smith, wrote a lot of the song, from what he says. He said the song was about just not getting out of bed and finding excuses all day to not get out of bed, despite really having nothing to face during the day. Huh. Smith had a girlfriend at the time who suffered from depression, and she would sleep through sunny days, and she would complain when there was no rain. Oh. Yeah. I get it. Figure it, it is. out. I get it. There it is. The song threw the band into international stardom. The album attained quadruple platinum status. The album peaked at number 11. The song peaked at number 20 on the Billboard Hot 100, number one on the Billboard album rock tracks, and number one on the modern rock tracks. It hit number one in Canada and number eight in Australia. So it was 
freaking blues. It was a big one. It was a big one. Great song. Like, yeah. Just listen to it live. It's so good. <laughs> the band toured extensively, supporting acts like Lenny Kravitz and Neil Young. They played at Woodstock in 1994. Ah, despite, Woodstock 94. Can't oh wait to cover God. that train wreck. Yeah, <laughs> please, Louise. Dear Lord. <laughs> despite all the success, they encountered trouble stemming from drug use. Most specifically, Hoon's drug use. Hoon made multiple trips to drug rehabilitation while he was in the band. Shannon liked his Hoon, uh, if you know what I mean. Like going drugs a lot. The band would later relocate to New Orleans and record their follow-up album. The album did not meet expectations for sales despite having a single Galaxy, which peaked at number 25. The album did not sell well. Against the mm. wishes of Hoon's drug counselor, Brian <clears throat> Blind Melon would tour in support of their new album, Soup. The drug counselor said that he should not tour because it would not be good for him because he would do drugs. Yeah. I can't understand why. Initially, they brought a counselor on the road to keep tabs on him and to make sure he wasn't using drugs, but they almost immediately dismissed this drug counselor on the road from his position. <laughs> he like made mm-hmm. it through one show and they're like, yeah, he seems fine. He's going to be all right. He actually did fine. show up, so we're going to yeah, fire he him. He was there. Then, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, while on this tour on October 21st, 1995, Shannon Hoon was found deceased from a cocaine-induced heart attack on their tour bus in downtown New Orleans. So, got it. Damn. Yep. God, damn. Wasn't it actually <laughs> cocaine? I feel like it had to be mixed with something else, probably. That, everything speed, I could find just said, mm. just said cocaine-induced heart attack. Wow. Which just sounds like the CIA got him, so who knows? Oh, God. The band had oh, God. initially <laughs> intended oh, on finding a replacement <laughs> vocalist, but would not happen for 10 years. In oh. 1996, they released an album called Nico, which was just demos, outtakes, and covers of bands such as Steppenwolf and John Lennon. The profits of this album would be donated to a program that helped musicians who suffered from substance abuse, which is very good. That's nice. That is nice. They found a replacement vocalist and reformed in 2006, but it would only last till 2008. This reunion would produce a third album called For My Friends. It didn't chart, but I'm... I didn't listen to it. It might be good. Who knows? It sounds like <laughs> it's good. No, you don't listen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the book was released this year as well, which I'm sure at some point I will read it because I really enjoy this band. They're a great band. Yeah. It's called A Devil on One Shoulder and an Angel on the Other, the story of Shannon Hoon and Blind Melon. This book was written by freelance writer Greg Prado, who actually writes some pretty good music-based books. Mm. He has written some articles for Rolling Stone and stuff. Awesome. So. Got to check him out. The band would take another. Yeah, exactly. The band would take another hiatus from 2009 to 2010. Since then, the band have played a handful of shows and have released a new one new song, but have yet to produce a follow up to their third album. So, yeah, that's in, you, yeah. that's incredible that they're still even doing it because that's yeah, a hard call, voice to replace. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. how can you? I would have just done That's, but yeah almost 30 years now if, yeah. if uh if no rain was released in 92 that's 30 years ago or yep. 20 28 crazy yep, that's 28. Tough. and i will say uh i kind of feel and i'm not sh- maybe like down the road we may do like a one-parter on like blind melon i would like to do i was think i was I just thinking that like is or, there yeah. enough to do much but we could definitely do a one-parter yeah. i think yeah. we could pull a one-parter yeah. just on all their connections and i think we could do, do one on like jumbo as well like their story when i was actually researching it to to uh, 
break it down into a, a more simple story, it, it's pretty interesting. So like, I even we may do one you maybe know, Patreon some the, episodes. Who knows? Ooh, I, think, yeah. I think we fun. could even uh. do simple minds because there was a lot I skipped. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. don't know. We'll 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 figure it out. But that's it. That is our first uh, of hopefully a couple. I don't know how many one hit wonders there really are, but like that's our first of a couple episodes on one hit wonders yep. we hope that we hope that we've uh kind of brought in your mind on the songs that you knew and maybe you didn't even know that you knew and who they're by of these flash in a pan kind of anomalies it's yeah, pretty it's cool shooting stars dude it's so fascinating <laughs> why why some people you know go to be queen status and make these uh, huge, huge, or or Led Zeppelin or Beatles or anything like that, like make are have this such a huge tenure and everything, and why some will create one song that is the same level. Out. Yeah, I don't know. We don't. I don't know what the answer is, and that's why I'm not a multi-millionaire producer <laughs> making hits day in and day out. That's you right. Know? That's why I'm sitting in a closet <laughs> making jokes about these guys that have enough money to buy my whole lineage. That's, That's why correct. I'm sitting above my bathroom in a crawl space. <laughs> I, bought a, I bought a house. I'm sitting in my office. So. Yeah, Tony's actually doing Tony very well. Tony's actually doing phenomenal. I'm so happy for you, Tony. I really am happy. <laughs> doesn't matter. I'm dead. Uh, yes. So we're going to leave it there for now. This has been such a fun episode. Yeah. We, we were a little nervous because it was such a different episode from anything we've done before. So, But we had such a good time with it. So we are definitely going to do it again. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to find us on social media anywhere, you can find us at We're On 5. That's W-E-R-E, On and 5 on everything. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you want to find me anywhere, oh, if you want to go to our website, our website has some bonus material that I update periodically. And we're going to uh, have to put some stuff on there from this. So I feel yeah, like we yeah. have a lot of and oh, oh, we will. Yeah. Do we just want to do we just want to disclose what we're doing next? That'd be a hard hit, I feel like. We did uh, disclose it in the we, last we, one, I think. Yeah, we but yeah, we did already. We talked yeah. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah, the next right. episode that we're going to cover is the 27 club. So that is people uh artists who have died at the age of 27. Yep. Either Another from, anomaly in music, but not a funny one. Oh, this no. it's going to be a dark episode. We'll yeah. try and lighten it up with a little, uh, some jokes and stuff like that, but it's going to be informative. I mean, you're going to find yeah. out how some of your favorite musicians uh, passed away. So hopefully we can Sad give you the thing. full story on that. Yep. Yeah. Shannon Hoon was 28. Oh, he was 28. Just, he missed, just missed it. Yeah. Good for yeah. him. Good for him to make it. Yeah, yeah, like, lucky him, man. <laughs> man. Just made it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes. So, if you want to find me anywhere, I am Anton is on in five on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to find Ethan anywhere, Ethan, why don't you spit that at him? On Twitter, I am Ethan Bonin on Instagram. I'm Bones for Bonin. And I'm always going to tell you please email us at weareonin5 at gmail.com with just anything. We do <gasps> not care. Just do it. Please. Yeah. Please Any interaction, do we're just desperate for desperate. someone to acknowledge and that we're you know alive. What? Lately, Instagram has been fun. Instagram oh, has been popping cool. lately. Yeah. And, uh, God, yes. And here's the thing. If you want to – this is Austin. If you want to follow me on Instagram, <laughs> I'm T-H-O-M-A-A-A-F as in Frank. And on uh, – uh, that's actually Twitter. Sorry, I lied. That's on Twitter. On Instagram, oh I'm Austin underscore Thomas 09. All of this they're is gonna to look say – They're going to look up some guy and it's just going to be pictures of buttholes all day long. And you will have found me. Then you found me. <laughs> then you're in the right spot, yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> but but here's the thing. The, follow the main Twitter. Follow the pages Twitter because it is it's popping lately. We are not an MCR fan page. I just want to reiterate, we are not an MCR fan page. It just happens to be the topic of the time, and Ethan is getting anything he can on it. So oh, it's going to change. Yeah, it's good. That being said, if you've listened to our series on MCR, we've talked to the wife of Craig Aronson. Yeah, Craig is the producer. Cool, yeah. Helpful. Yeah, cool. It's so big. She's a yeah. very nice lady, yeah. It's, it's yes. incredible. God. But, but yes, we are not an MCR. Uh, we just seem to be one. It just, it just looks like that. But it will end up being a blank, blank fan page. Oh, that's a hint at who we're doing next. Oh, well, for a long time, it's, it's going to really be. Hint at all, but... Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, this person has two names. Uh, so, uh, yeah, or for a while, band. it'll be us. Yeah, or band, yes. Uh, for a while, it'll be oh. us. And then it'll be this female singer has two names. Yeah, I can't wait to post pictures of us. It's going to be hilarious. Uh, uh, so I've been I've been coming across some old pictures on Facebook of you. Oh man, sexy! Yeah. I need to delete that. <laughs> I, I uploaded them. You can't get rid of them. Wait, it's what? Beauty. What? They're from Ethan's page. They're you're just in them. Oh, you're just a, you're just you're just being hijacked on <laughs> oh, this. Oh man, that's fine. Some, at some point, you have to accept that you have a past, and you probably don't like it. And you, in my case, you definitely don't like it, and you just gotta keep moving. That's uh, that's correct. I love you, <laughs> so we're gonna keep moving ourselves. Uh, so if you wanna like and review us on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts or Apple Podcasts, uh, please do that that helps us get seen and we really appreciate it if you don't want to review us at least rate us uh give us whatever truthfully whatever you think we deserve if click you a give one us a star rating. click a two star click a five star whatever you want yeah just let us know what you think um so that's it that's our one hit wonders why don't we go ahead and uh wrap it up there ethan just got his guitar out what's he gonna play for us yeah what's ethan playing he's just playing oh there we go. Uh-huh. I see it. There it is. That's <laughs> the that's the progression I know. Oh, all I can say is that my life is pretty plain. Oh, you must have been in a different place. We all went to different verses. <laughs> <laughs>